people come here to trade, make a little profit, do a little business. Got nothing to trade, you've got no business in Barter Town. Now we're on the inside, that's all. Next! I got skills, I can trade them. Sorry the brothel's full. minute we have no problem with a little fallout frankly i think it's a great video game but we also love watching mad max beyond thunderdome one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute seven which begins with max walking away from tainted water and it ends with max getting handsy with the collector one person that i'm sure many of his listeners wouldn't mind getting handsy with we have tom taylor from the indiana jones minute podcast (laughs) What do I say to that? Except thank you and hello. <laughs> Welcome. That's quite the introduction. Yes. I'm, 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 I'm going to blush. Maybe that's just the fallout. Maybe I'm just I'm, I'm starting to feel the effects. You've got that glow about <laughs> you. Thank you. But it's one of those type of glows. It is. <laughs> Tom, it's been a while since we last had you on the show. How have you been? I've been pretty good. Thanks for asking. I'm busy, but that's not a bad thing. And uh, it's winter, and that's not a bad thing, because it's going to be spring soon. Or maybe it is spring by now. Who knows? Time means nothing in podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We're all about that every season perennial content. That's right. As much as we can, right? (laughs) That's true. Delete that. (laughs) Right. So we shouldn't mention we've had three nor'easters inside of a week and a half, and we're currently snowed in. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That would make any sense to anybody listening to this in August. What does weather even mean in a post-apocalyptic setting? That's true. The only weather we should be concerned about is the fact that it's nice, bright, and sunny outside the gates of Bartertown, where we join Max, and he is... Right in the middle of a interaction, I wouldn't say a confrontation, an interaction with a watermonger who has come up to him and offered an opportunity to purchase his wares. Max, of course, answered by pulling out a Geiger counter <laughs> from underneath his cloak, and he is passing that baby all over that water tank to raucous effect. Yes. That thing is going crazy. What's a little fallout, eh? <laughs> I like that guy. There is one detail about the water cellar I want to note. I was going back over what we talked about this past Friday about his ridiculous umbrella hat and the fact that it's got all this stuff on it. Those little things hanging from the brim, those little doodads and knickknacks are not there by accident. I looked up a thing because I'm not Australian. I don't know all the ins and outs, but... When you see people in Australia with little things hanging from the edge of their hats, usually they do little bits of cork on string. Those doodads swing around and have the same effect as waving your hand in front of your face as far as keeping bugs away. Oh, wow. So it actually serves a practical purpose. Crazy. I know. Oh, well, now I'm kind of wondering why we don't see it more. Yeah. Why don't we? Why isn't that an American thing? We got bugs here. Right. We got lots of bugs yeah. here. I know. It's one of those practical fashion things that you would hope would catch on <laughs> in places like we're over here in New Hampshire where mosquitoes are a constant annoying problem. I think maybe the fact that the wide brim hat has fallen out of fashion. Maybe. And it seems to be effective. To be effective, it would need to be a big wide umbrella kind of thing like this you know get the get the full you know back of your neck front of your face the whole thing Mm -hmm. so you really have to commit i think okay am i gonna look awesome 
or am I going to look ridiculous and not have any bugs on me? It's a choice that we all have to make. Well, yes, it is a choice. I'm not sure there's any way to really look awesome while wearing an umbrella hat with corks hanging from it. Right. That's the thing. But at a certain point, you got to get over that. Yeah. <laughs> at what point does style outweigh practicality? Yeah. Form or function? Bugs or fashion? <laughs> Life must be hard out in the wasteland for people that are really fashion conscious. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of crazy fashion in this movie, in all these movies. Oh, yeah. And Max always seems to end up looking cool. Like, do you think he tries? This is just occurring to me now. Do you think he tries to look cool? Like, does he, you know, like in the road warrior, he's like, oh, just one, one shoulder pad. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll have like a shirt and the leather thing. And yeah, it looks pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it's functional, but yeah, it looks awesome. I think Max's secret, wearing black. Yeah. You can yeah. never go wrong. Exactly. It's true. Here he's got the billowy, breezy stuff. Yeah. Every man needs a black suit. Every woman needs a black dress. Just a classic monochromatic piece of formal wear that is good for any situation. You got a wedding, black suit. You got a funeral, black suit. You got a <laughs> cocktail event where you got to impress a bunch of people, black suit. Yeah. Apocalypse, black suit. Looking for your <laughs> stolen camels, black billowy tablecloth or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The trick, especially when you go for the billowy tablecloth, and this is one thing that I really appreciated Curtis pointing out last week. If you are wearing billowy fabric in Bedouin style in an effort to stay cool in the desert, don't wear skin tight leather underneath because it will <laughs> negate the effect. You would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why he looks so cool. Yeah. Is the combo of the black leather and the drapey fabric. The form over function. Yes. He's sacrificing <laughs> a little bit of the uh, comfort he might have gotten from going a different way for looking cool. And who can blame him? He's in a movie. He's got to look cool. He knows what's what and he knows how to handle himself. Yeah. Case in point, the fact that he's Geiger countering. Is that is that the is that the phrase? <laughs> Geiger encounters. He's uh he's the having, verb for having a Geiger encounter. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know. I, I'm trying to figure it out. It's a it's... Geigering encounter of the first kind. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I looked up a bunch of stuff about the Geiger counter and what it does, how it works and whatnot. So let's dive into that a little bit. A Geiger counter detects ionizing radiation such as alpha particles, beta particles, and gamma rays using the ionization effect produced in a Geiger-Muller tube which gives its name to the instrument. In wide and prominent use as a handheld radiation survey instrument, it is perhaps one of the world's best-known radiation detection instruments. Hmm. A Geiger counter consists of a Geiger-Muller tube, the sensing element, which detects the radiation, and the processing electronics, which displays the results, often with a clicking sound. Which is what we just heard. Mm -hmm. Based on this reading, this water is not safe to drink. Yeah. What's a little fallout at? Eh. I'm curious about where he found this Geiger counter. Where do you find any of his stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Do they have nuclear power plants in Australia? You know what? I have a smartphone. I can look at it. <laughs> and then also, will they have nuclear power plants in Australia? And if, you know, I'm wondering if that's like a sought after thing in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Like, do you, at, one, at some point, are you like, well, yeah, it's probably radioactive. Everything around me is probably radioactive. Yeah. Because <laughs> the safe bet it's radioactive. I don't know if I need a Geiger counter. I mean, there's one thing to be said for just assuming everything is radioactive and going on with your life like that. But then again, just because you know everything is radioactive doesn't mean you necessarily want to wander into an especially radioactive area. That's true. Yeah. 
That's a good point. Australia does not have any functioning nuclear power plants, and the building of such plants is prohibited. Okay. Oh, such a sensible people. I am looking up if they are one of the nuclear states, which they are not, so they don't have any nuclear weapons. Mm. Hmm. So the presence on the continent of a Geiger counter had to have happened once worldwide nuclear war was imminent or it could have been in like a scientific lab i just thought of something do you remember when we watched where the green ants dream yes with bruce spence do you remember what they were looking to mine uranium uranium Ah. which is radioactive which is radioactive so he probably stumbled across i mean in where the green ants dream the place was called the ayers mining company maybe he stumbled across a location where the ayers mining company was looking for uranium found a geiger counter and probably encountered someone else that looks like bruce spence because there aren't enough of them in this series so perhaps max awakened the green ants and he caused the end of the world oh that's a good point the aborigine characters were always saying you wake up those green ants they're going to destroy the world yes maybe that's what it was Oh, and maybe that radioactivity from the uranium drove him mad. See, I knew there was a reason why we watched that movie. (laughs) Yes, there has been a reason why we watched that movie. Besides Bruce Spence. Mm -hmm. Yes. Also, isn't uh, there's On the Beach, you know, that movie about uh, people who, you know, the the remnants of society after a nuclear war and they're kind of just chilling in Australia waiting for the radiation to come get them. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to make a tie in with that in my head. You know that movie? I don't think we've watched that one. It's really good. It's really good. Gregory Peck and Fred Astaire and a bunch of others and Anthony Perkins. 1959. I think it was a book. Yeah. Yeah. By Neville Shoot. I'm pretty sure I have it. Oh, check it out. But yeah, it's like the Northern Hemisphere, I guess, is done. And so people are just kind of like gravitating to the Southern Hemisphere and they're hanging out in Australia. And they kind of, everybody knows that they're going to get wiped out by radiation eventually. And they're just kind of having cocktail parties and hanging out. And Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. We definitely need to throw that yeah, yeah. Cool. hiatus list at some point. First. Yeah. Yeah. I, I inherited a collection of Neville Shoot books and I haven't read like half of them. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that that is the name of one of those books. It could be. Could be. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks. So, Julia, were you the one who asked what the danger was of consuming radioactive water? Or is that just a question that I invented in my head as a way of making a segue? It's a question that you invented in your head because I know what happens. (laughs) (laughs) You drink radioactive water. Yeah. The uh, dangers of drinking radioactive water are similar to most radiation exposure. I'm talking about increased strength and durability, increased speed and stamina, regenerative healing, (laughs) sudden transformations into a large green rage monster. Keep in mind that is just for gamma radiation and only in very specific situations like if you are Eric Bana, Edward Norton, or Mark Ruffalo. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you drink it, though, if you drink radioactive water, you become water man or something or Mm. water boy, maybe water woman. (laughs) Yeah. Moist man with the power of water. (laughs) Actual symptoms of radiation sickness can be acute happening soon after exposure or uh, chronic exposure even, where symptoms appear over time or after some time, possibly years later. The early signs are vomiting, diarrhea, nausea, so pepto symptoms, Mm -hmm. loss of appetite, unwell feelings, headache, rapid heartbeat. If you get exposed to a lot of it really quickly, you can lose white blood cells. You can lose your hair, your nerve cells. You can damage your digestive tract. I mean, we're talking about a whole lot of bad stuff. Yeah. Do you think this vendor guy is getting radiated just by pedaling around with this big vat of radiated water? (laughs) I really don't think he's going to have a retirement. Nah. Seems happy enough, though. Maybe he's got it all figured out. Who are we to judge? Yeah, he's got water. (laughs) He does. 
if you're going to die from the exposure anyways, yeah. you might as well drink the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you got any powdering, you can make it Kool-Aid and just go <laughs> to full Monty. <laughs> Yes. Max is really quick to leave this guy behind. He's not buying what this guy is selling. And yeah. there are a couple of extras that we see. As Max departs this interaction and starts walking into Bartertown, there are a couple of extras that enter the scene. One of them particularly is wearing a chef's hat. No uh, big deal. Yep, I saw the chef's hat. I was <laughs> amused by that. Yeah. Yep. Except around second 12 of this minute, there is an extra that enters the frame from the left side. Oh, wow. And he is wearing... I assume either a clear salad bowl Mm -hmm. or the clear dome of like a large ceiling light. Oh, yeah. Those are two really good guesses. Yeah. I saw that and I was confused. Yeah. By it. It would only accentuate the heat and sun. Yeah. Hitting yeah. his head. I almost want to call it a colander, but it doesn't have like any like cross stitches. Like it wouldn't be a good strainer or anything. It would right. be it's just like a yeah, it's just straight lines coming out. That's weird. It's yeah. one of those details that confounds me, <laughs> confuses me. I just look at it and I'm like, how what? <laughs> and Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> I am never going to understand the post apocalyptic wasteland. I just never yeah. will. No. If hats like this are happening. Like, maybe his personal life goal, he wakes up in the morning, he's like, you know what I want to do today? I want to get massive heat stroke. Yeah. And he just goes off wandering. (laughs) That would do it. It's a miracle he's alive. (laughs) That would be a story to follow. A man who just wants to get heat stroke, but he can't for the life of him find a spot that doesn't have shade. And he's just running around all of these shady spots screaming to himself because curse his unlucky stars. He can't get into the sun. That's tragic. (laughs) Speaking of finding shade, let's go inside the entryway to Bartertown. Yeah. We fade to a shot of the crowds separating as Iron Bar walks through, surrounded by Auntie's guards. They make way for him. He seems very important. And I must say, as far as the cinematography is concerned, they are doing Iron Bar a lot of favors with all of these really low angles. <laughs> right. They do like hitting him with a low angle, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not doing him any favors is the woman to his left. <laughs> she is glorious. Yeah. I couldn't peg down who she is so i couldn't figure out how tall she is Mm -hmm. but she is just majestic yeah she's like 10 feet behind him and she's towering over him yeah there are a couple women in the i guess inner circle of guards that auntie has and every one of them very striking yeah i found a behind the scenes picture of the imperial guard and i posted it on the listeners page this morning and i counted four women in the group although they're outfits their uniforms and their headdresses do make it a little difficult to tell gender Mm. but i'm pretty sure there's four women yeah in the group the idea of putting all of your guards in giant feathery mohawks certainly (laughs) helps them stand out yes it took me a while to realize that these weren't just straight up mohawks growing out of the people's heads like these were you know headpieces Sort of. Yeah. So, But we, we didn't have anything like that in the Road Warrior. Those were all sort of, those were, you know, shaved mohawks that people had grown. Road Warrior had legit mohawks. Those people <laughs> right. Au naturel. had it down. These guys, I guess if Auntie wants to hire effectively, she needs to make certain allowances. And if she wants mohawks, just provide mohawks. Yeah. So much easier. Maybe they are growing their own mohawks underneath these. And then once they get long enough, they can switch to those. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you've 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 arrived. I'm sure 
auntie has some sort of employee handbook somewhere. She is a big fan of writing rules. Yeah, that's true. Now, is this, forgive me, is this the first time we've seen Iron Bar? Or did we see him previously in previous minutes? We, we saw him previously, but we didn't focus on him. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the first time that the camera is actually looking at him. Yeah, front and center. Did he specifically follow Max in here? Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. I, 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 Yeah, I remember that because he, it seems like in this movie, people sort of immediately like spot Max and realize something's going on with him. Like that he's somebody to either watch out for or somebody who can help or somebody, he's got something going on. He's, he's got some skills and stuff. Yeah, he's someone worth singling out. Yeah. And when I thought about Iron Bar following Max, it reminded me of back in Road Warrior where Wes seemed to single Max out from all of the other people in the compound. And it made me think, are they trying to make Iron Bar the new Wes? <laughs> Is Iron Bar the bad guy that we're supposed to pay special attention to and like to hate you know mm-hmm. we, we, there's always those bad guys we love to hate right and is iron bar supposed to be the new wes i think he is i kind of think so too you get right away that he's you know a bad guy who is paying attention that he's he's got some smarts and uh he's got an entourage with him he's got some muscle yeah he knows what's going on and you got to watch out for him yeah do you think it's effective do you, do you think he's a likable character on par with wes or is it no contest it's nice that he's totally different he's like completely different <laughs> from wes mm-hmm. but i think i think of him as pretty effective i think that he's uh he's a totally weird guy he's got a big head on the back of his thing pointing up over his head he's got a face i like him i think he's uh gosh i never thought to like compare him to wes before though i mean wes I, okay at the end of the day Maybe there's no contest. You know, Wes is just insane and he goes nuts and he yells at people and he does backflips and stuff. But I think if you're going going to not just copy Wes, then Iron Bar is a really good way to go. And he's a good, effective guy in his own way. Hmm. Julia, what do you think? I think they did a good job of giving us a Wes-type character without copying Wes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And... Iron Bar is a source of poking fun at this movie because he just <laughs> refuses to die. <laughs> yeah. But it, that's a characteristic that keeps him in the front of the movie, keeps us paying attention to him. There are people who are going to root for him because he refuses to die. Mm. Yeah. So I think they did a very good job giving us a Wes type character. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think you guys are starting to sway me around to oh. liking Iron Bar a bit better. Oh, you haven't liked him so far or, or <sighs> the, historically? I think it's just the fact that he's short. Mm. I don't know. Oh, seriously? I think it's an emotional shortcoming of mine. What? <laughs> I didn't like him because he was short. Wow. I mean... I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying it was a thing. You're being honest, and that's you, you can't argue with that. <laughs> the first step I salute to your move honesty, on. you awful person. <laughs> is to admit it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of awful people, yeah. The next person we see is a guy known as the collector. He is sitting at his desk. Yes. He is talking to a fur trader. And the first time we hear him, it's technically an off-screen voiceover, but he's telling this fur trader, you get a sack of grain or a woman for two hours. And 50 portions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's our more, slightly more human Ankar Plutt in this movie, you know, Definitely. predicted by a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. He's got the same job, same build yeah and i I have to say i I have to say i I cannot take credit for that observation uh pete mummer was going to join us this evening also from the indiana jones minute but he shared his notes with me and uh you know two men invited one man shows up and he gave me his notes and so i had to get that line in there 
but on Carplug. At this point, if Pete had come on the show, I feel like he would have broken some sort of gypsy curse or something like that, because <laughs> I've been trying to get him on since last season. Oh, really? So it's one of those scheduling things. It is. Where it just comes up. Life happens. It can remain a running joke at this point. Yeah, but I, I feel foolish that I didn't pick up on that, that I didn't get the on Carplug <laughs> connection, because it's, it's so <laughs> obvious and so clear, like in every single way. It really is. One thing that kind of frustrates me is we get the collector talking to this fur trader. Fur trader doesn't have any lines. He's a silent character, but the collector gives him two options. The fur trader nods, hands him the furs. They spit in their hands. They shake and the fur trader walks off and we don't get to hear what the fur trader selected. Did he choose the grain or the woman? (laughs) That's a really good point. I never thought of it. Okay. I have a question about the woman. Two hours seems like a long time. More than this guy might need. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they don't say it outright, but we're talking about a prostitute. You really need two hours? (laughs) It makes me think that it's not just like a straight up prostitution thing. Mm. There might also be, you know, you get a woman for two hours and then she is your escort for that two hours you get to walk around you get to take a look at things yeah maybe there's a massage parlor aspect to it Mm -hmm. i don't know i imagine the field of chiropractics is a diminishing art so (laughs) if you get some women that are willing to learn that art and then dovetail that into other activities you get some real good services going yeah or it could just be like yeah like like just companionship like she reads them a bedtime story or something or you know just uh, says nice things to him for a couple hours. They could do a tea ceremony like uh, Inara <laughs> in Firefly. Yeah, there you go. She's a companion. Yes. yes. <laughs> what? There's a culture out there I've been racking my brain that calls them comfort women. <laughs> wow. Is that like a hug club that I've heard about? I can't remember. Wow. A tickle team? Like there are <laughs> places you can go and you walk in the door I guess you pay for some time and then you can just go and like cuddle with strangers. Wow. Oh, that reminds me playing devil's advocate on my own question about the two hours. (laughs) In Game of Thrones, the unsullied who've been castrated they did a scene where one of the unsullied goes and just cuddles with a prostitute for a little oh, while yeah. mm-hmm. he just wanted human contact that sounds yeah. kind of great he doesn't, doesn't it? get so okay i can imagine a wastelander out in the waste collecting rabbit furs or yeah. jackal hides or whatever jackals no probably dingoes anyway doesn't matter <laughs> i'm not a wildlife expert but he comes into town trades in his furs you know what i could really use someone to just rub my shoulders for a little bit because yeah. skinning those animals is hard work yeah wrists and knuckles are probably tired she comes in maybe like rubs some i don't know sand on them i don't know yeah what they have as far as <laughs> post-apocalyptic stuff maybe she spits on it everything needs to be spit based in this Ugh. town yeah or a radioactive mud bath <laughs> say people pay a lot of money for mud baths sure in any society <laughs> i do like that uh a post-apocalyptic fur trader looks exactly like you know a 16th century Appalachians fur trader. Like, yeah, <laughs> fur trader is a fur trader. Got the hat. Oh, I guess so. I'll, uh, I could sell this rabbit, or I can make a hat, and I'll have that hat forever. There seems to be a unofficial uniform. Yeah, yeah, kind of do-it-yourself thing as you go. Speaking of things, and this is a really clunky segue because the collector <laughs> is played by Frank Thring. Yeah, which is like thing, but with an R thrown there in the middle. Because why the heck not? It's Australia. 
Frank Thring was born on May 11th, 1926 in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia as Francis William Thring Jr. Indiana was the dog. He was married to <laughs> Joan Cunliffe. He died December 29, 1994 in Melbourne. Huh. His top four on IMDb include Beyond Thunderdome, Ben-Hur from 1959 where he played Pontius Pilate. Wow. King of Kings in 1961 where he played Herod Antipas. Hmm. Antip- Antipas. <laughs> and he was also in 1958's The Vikings, where he played Aella? A-E-L-L-A. Huh. It's a Viking name. I don't do well with Scandinavian pronunciations. <laughs> but he actually started out as a sound effects man on radio with 3XY before becoming an actor. His first regular role on radio was as a part Aboriginal detective named Napoleon Bonaparte, later made into a television serial entitled Boney in 1972, <laughs> starring James Lawrenson. IMDb lists his nickname as The Many Splendored Thring and shows 33 <laughs> acting credits over his career. His first role was in 1958 in an episode of Dick and the Duchess and concludes with Hercules Returns in 1993, where he played the voice of Zeus. Oh, wow. He's had quite the career. Yeah, totally. From Ben-Hur to Hercules Returns. <laughs> what stood out to me is his ability to play those characters that are regal and above it all Mm -hmm. and very look down your nose types yeah which he's doing here pontius pilot herod antipas the collector yeah he's got a type he does i wonder if he's like that in real life or was yeah (laughs) well with a nickname like the many splendored thring (laughs) yeah He came up with that himself. (laughs) The fur trader, like I said, he moves along. We don't know what he's going into town for, but we know it's at least one of those things. Given the option, would you go with companionship or food? Hmm. Well, since he's a fur trader, he probably has already eaten or has more to trade of the meat from the furs. So probably companionship. Yeah, that's a good point. Companionship takes more work because you have to establish a relationship for someone to voluntarily be with you in that way. Not not just meaning sex, like yeah. to be intimate with you in many ways. Yeah, connect with somebody. Yeah, or you can just pay them. It's it's a lot faster yeah. to just yeah. pay them. Plus, I mean, we don't know how big that sack of grain is. It <laughs> could be unwieldy yeah. and more trouble than it's worth. I can't eat all this right now. Yeah. Right, and with a sack of grain, you still have to do more stuff to it. <laughs> you still have to grind it and bake yeah. it. Although, you paint a face on that sack of grain, <laughs> and you've got both things. Yep. You've got your sack of grain oh. and your companionship. Oh, dear. The world is your oyster. Not everyone can find a volleyball. That's true. Yeah. Guess not. Not everyone is Tom Hanks. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. So Max walks up to the collector's desk and just goes right into the question and answer portion of the evening. Yeah. This does not look like an information desk to me, but then again, it's so poorly lit in this tunnel that there could be informational signs literally everywhere, and I would not be able to see them. Right. And you get the impression this is the only, like, you're you're kind of channeled to the collector. Like, this is the only guy you could possibly talk to in any kind of authority. Which is incredibly inefficient. Yeah. To have only one person... And one gate. Yeah, especially if you're not interested in trading. Yeah, there should be a separate gate for people who are just interested in socializing. Yeah. You should be someone out front with a bright red vest with a 
I printed on it for information. Mm -hmm. Maybe handing out pamphlets and informational directions and whatnot. This way to social town. The thing about Max talking to the collector here, you can definitely tell that Max was a highway patrolman and not a detective because (laughs) his interrogation skills are really lacking. Right. All he does is question, question, question. He doesn't listen. Barring any radical radiation mutation, we have two ears and one mouth, which means that we should listen twice as much as we talk (laughs) that's right although i don't know being out in the wilderness by yourself for who knows how many years his people (laughs) skills could understandably be rusty i can only imagine all the types that the collector must have to deal with those people that have been out in the wasteland for so long that maybe they i don't know forget how to control the volume of their voice and so (laughs) he's sitting there at the desk and they're like mumbling and he can't hear them and he's like i i cannot help you unless you speak up and then they start shouting because they don't know how to control it (laughs) that's a thing right i don't know (laughs) the collector asks very routinely what are you trading max instantly says i'm looking for someone collector recognizes that this is not a thing that he can trade. And Max just keeps going off describing the guy. And the collector has to more or less stop Max and explain to him, okay, you're in Bartertown. Did you not see the sign? In Bartertown, you barter. If you're not bartering, go away. (laughs) Right. He must have to explain this to a lot of people, I would think. They're probably like repeat customers to Bartertown, but I would think that there'd be a ton of people who just stumble upon it for the first time and they simply don't get it either. Mm -hmm. Now, see, if Max is not there to trade, he needs to go somewhere else. Like if Bartertown isn't good for him, maybe he should go to like the rumor mill, (laughs) which I'm assuming is where you get your grain processed and get information. Yeah. But, you know, go somewhere that's specifically designed for the solution you want to have happen. (laughs) Camelsburg. <laughs> this scene accentuates that this is not a free society. Mm. This isn't a place that you can come and go at your leisure. This seems really odd to people in, you know, modern society because we just get to do whatever we want. As long as we don't hurt other people, we get to do whatever we want. And that's just the way it is. But it's not the society that Max lives in anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder if starting out society that they're rebuilding this is a step in their evolution to return to a free modern society that there has to be a phase where one person has total control and is able to decide who comes and who goes and what they do here to keep moving along that path to modern society again. I just realized Barter Town is essentially the wasteland equivalent of like a Costco or a Walmart. <laughs> Well, like you walk into a Walmart, if you have no intention of buying anything and you're just hanging out in there, eventually someone's going to come up and be like, hey, if you're not going to buy anything, just just go. No, they're not. (laughs) Yeah, if it's a big enough Costco or something, you could probably spend the better part of a day before somebody notices you. I I don't know. You you take a homeless person, you send them into a Costco. They're probably going to get stopped pretty quick. Yeah, maybe. The idea in modern culture, everybody has access to money, even if you can't see it. Mm -hmm. So here, they're just checking at the door, do you have money or not? Yeah. And Max is pretty clear. All he needs is one hour on the outside. And of course, the first thing I think of is, well, just get half as many furs as that fur trader got. And that'll get you one hour on the inside. And you'll have a woman to help you look. Sure. That's a good plan. Yeah. Granted, the area around Vartertown is probably picked pretty clean of (laughs) small animals to kill. But, you know. Thanks to that guy in front of him. Yeah. Everyone in that line is really peeved off that Max is holding everything up. Yeah. 
you can hear a lot of grumbling from behind him in line. And so the collector very plainly says, next, he wants to get this ball rolling. And Max does not like that answer. And so he leans closer to the desk and he says, I've got skills. I can trade them. Mm -hmm. You know, like nunchuck skills and bow hunting skills and computer hacking skills. You know, (laughs) girls only like guys who have skills. (laughs) Now, this is where the collector gets awfully cheeky. Mm -hmm. He says, sorry, the brothel's full, which good comeback. It is. I I like that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> if this whole scene had gone differently would max have gone for that and be like okay I'll, I'll i'll work in the brothel for an afternoon just so i can you know just so i can uh get free reign of the inside and try to find my stuff this is one of those situations where if steve bisley's character had survived the first movie instead of mel gibson's character oh you better bet goose would be like hour in the brothel <laughs> sure yeah. i'll tell ta- I'll, ta- I'll do it it's working <laughs> Max does not appreciate this really quite good comeback. He lunges forward, grabs the collector by the collar, and pulls him close. Mm -hmm. You gotta be careful around Max. He's fast. Yeah. He beat a snake. He did. As far as lunging and grabbing is concerned. So you gotta be careful around him. Ironbar does not like this. And he does this thing where he snaps his finger and steps aside and one of the guards steps forward. We don't get to see what that guard is going to do, though, because we have reached the end of this minute. Now, <laughs> everyone's going to have to come back next time. Cliffhanger. To figure out what's going on there. In the meantime, Tom, if people want to hear more of you, where should they go? My gosh, there are like twice as many places where you can go now since last time I talked to you guys. You go to indianajonesminute.com where you can find uh, me and my friends uh, Pete Mummert and Jerry Porter where we uh, go through the Indiana Jones films one minute at a time. Uh, As of this recording, we are... Eh, almost like halfway through uh last crusade the last movie in the indiana jones saga oh okay that joke's getting old <laughs> we'll do crystal skull it's, it's gonna be fine but yeah we're having a ball over there so join us over there uh you can also hear me on abc devo with uh your friends uh pete the retailer from star wars minute and john engel from alien minute and our friend joe mazel where we go alphabetically through all of Devo's catalog. And uh, we're having a blast over there, abcdevo.com. And, oh, I'm exhausted. You can go to the moviehole.com, where my friends Mike DiMaria and uh, Dan Lewis and I, uh, we finished uh, Caddyshack. We breezed through uh, A Christmas Story for the holiday season. And we are hard at work now at uh, bringing you the Blues Brothers two minutes at a time, once a week for the rest of our lives. Awesome. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) That is quite the smorgasbord of (laughs) podcasting offerings. So definitely go check all of that stuff out. But Pete couldn't have make it over here. He didn't have time to be on the (laughs) Mad Max Minute. (laughs) Like I said, I'm willing to let that continue to be a running joke. Okay. I'm fine with that. (laughs) So we are going to put a pin in this for now. We will come back next time and take a swing at Minute 8. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link 
link, join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link. Thank you for joining us for Beyond Thunderdome. We'll see you next time.